Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School, the podcast where you get fresh insight from leaders at top tech companies and startups. Remember, you can learn product management in person at our 15 campuses worldwide or study with us online. Visit productschool.com to learn more about our courses. You can also hang out with the leaders from these podcasts at our hundreds of annual events and catch us at ProductCon, the world's largest PM conference that takes place every year across the United States and in London. Uh, all right, so my name is Nate Franklin. I'm from Amplitude, and we're going to be talking today about the next generation of products, um, and more importantly, what we believe it's going to take to actually power them, right? Because as we think about as product people, that's what matters to us, is how do we actually make these things possible? Um, and I'm a big fan of product school, so super psyched to be here today. So I thought it'd be helpful to talk a little bit about me and sort of my road to getting to product. So I got my start way back when working on ice cream novelties, where we were trying to combine the idea of like the, custom the customization of a sundae where you can have whatever ice cream you want, whatever topping, chocolate sauce, whatever, with the portability of a hot dog. And you're like, that sounds crazy. It probably was. Uh, we actually did sell it in a couple ballparks for a while, but to me, like that process of looking at efficiencies and looking at customer needs and trying to bring them together is why I love product. And I think a lot of the reason why you guys are all here in this room is actually building stuff for our customers. Um, so I've taken that throughout my career until I got to Amplitude, um, where if you don't know what Amplitude is, is we're a product intelligence platform. And that's basically what, what our sort of belief is, is that analytics isn't enough, right? Like analytics shows you what's going on, but what's most important is can you actually take action on your data? And so what we're gonna be talking through today is like, what does it mean to actually power the next generation of products with data? All right, so let's get into some of that. So with just a show of hands, who here knows where this photo is taken from? Small hands, I thought my 1,000 people might get some people. All right, that's okay, well, I'll teach you right now. All right, so to get this photo, uh, we had to launch the most sophisticated rocket mankind has ever built, millions of miles into space, right? That rocket then had to perfectly, at the right time, send off a little capsule and start floating towards this distant planet, right? As that capsule started to near the atmosphere, it had to separate again and take into account the different forces of gravity and magnetic stuff that's coming from the sun and elsewhere in space. And from there, it had to automatically put out its own parachute and slowly descend towards the surface of Mars. And of course, it had to do all of this without any help from humans because for us to communicate with a spacecraft that far away, it takes at a minimum five minutes sometimes up to 25 minutes, right? And so in doing that, we landed on Mars, got this amazing photo, all without the help of us. And so this is like an incredible human feat, right? This is like an amazing advancement for mankind. But when you think about the products we use every day, it looks a little bit different. So one of the most sophisticated platforms on the planet, probably heard of it, Facebook, right? Uh, is telling James, like, I hope you had a great year. Remember that time when your apartment burned down? Awesome, right? Not awesome, okay? We, we, have, we build these products, we go into our office, we work with our teams, we think through things really thoughtfully, but we forget how they actually work in the real world, right? We forget to take into account the context of how they're actually gonna be used. And so we get stuff like this. And even on our products that have been around for decades, like the most powerful productivity app on the planet has been around, remember, still can't figure out months. How does this happen? How does this happen, right? Morrowary, that's the next one. So, and then finally, even the, on a platform 
where it has all of the data. You don't need anything else. It has all the context. It's everything you need. It doesn't need to talk to any of this, any of the platform. Still is telling us about a job we just left as a recommended place to go. Right? Like we are better than this. We landed a rover on Mars. Like why is this happening? Now, granted, not every product has the funding of NASA, but there are things that we can do that get a lot closer and be a lot better. And as product people, that's like the call to action I want you guys to think about today. All right. So why are our products not better? Um, a lot of the reason has to do with the, access, the data that we have access to. Um, the other side of it is that do we even know what better looks like? Like what, what does a great product really look like? And so to, to talk through some of that, what I want to go through is what we sort of three is like some of the trends for the next three years. So let's, let's take a look at those. So you'll probably be like, well, Nate, like, we've been talking about end-to-end -end experience for two decades. That's true. We've been talking about lifetime value for a while as well, and that's also true. But the difference is that what we're actually starting to see is that these things are become actually real. And that's what I'm going to show you right now is how the idea of a trend is no longer a trend. Like, this is what's going to become reality if we're going to build a great product. And here's some examples. All right, so when I say like this end-to-end -end experience, I mean for real this time, right? When people say end-to-end -end experience now, they're like, yeah, we've got a mobile app, we've got a website, people can come in our store, that's end-to-end -end experience, right? That's omni-channel. But what we all know is that the mobile app team sits over here, the website team sits over there, the data doesn't talk to each other, and every time you move to a different channel, it's a whole new experience. So that's not end-to-end. -end. The second thing is that like the ability to actually capture this digitally so we can bring the context through. And there's a company that does this really, really well today. And this is a quote from their head of digital. And they say, or this person says, the way we look at digital and in stores, not channel by channel, or one channel helping the other, it's all one experience. Who thinks this is a startup? Okay, good, you got that. Who thinks this is a tech company? Well, by the way, every company is a tech company now, you're not gonna survive. So it's not actually a tech company initially, but this is Nike. Right? So Nike is a five-decade-old company, and they are leading the way with building the end-to-end -end experience. Not someone you think of like technology out of the gate, right? They're a shoe company. But they, they have done this so well. Who here has been into a Nike store recently? Good amount of hands? Okay. Have you experienced this new thing with their app? So what Nike does is Nike has their, their mobile app, which of course allows you to do all the things that other e-commerce mobile apps might do. You can search for a shoe, search for clothing, punch in your size and buy it. But as soon as you enter into the store, the experience changes, right? Because it knows that you're in the store and it's no longer making sense to try to sell you something on an app because you're in the store and you're there in person. And so you should experience Nike as in conjunction with what it's like to be in the store and what it's like to be in your app, right? And so when you walk into the store, Nike says, hey Nate, like I saw you're looking at those new Air Jordans. Do you want to try a few that are in your size? And I say, yes. So I go there, I go directly to the fitting room, and all of a sudden someone's bringing me the couple of shoes that I'm looking at. Well, it turns out they didn't fit right, so I just punch in my app and say, actually, I want a size bigger or a size smaller, and a new shoe comes. Right? It's, it, the app has the context to know what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, I mean, not what I'm thinking, but a good idea of what I'm thinking, right? And to actually design its experience to map to me. And so then when I finally leave, it knows what shoes I looked at, I told the shoes I wanted to buy, it buy, and I just walk out of the store. I don't have to wait for a line. Right? That is an end-to-end -end experience. Who here is, works on a product that has an end-to-end -end experience like that? Yeah, we, we, got, we got some ways to go, right? This is, this is what we're trying to get to. This is like the cream of the crop. And there are a lot of companies that are starting to get there. This is when I say like an end-to-end -end experience that's actually going to happen, right? It's not, it's not something we talk about like, oh yeah, we'll have all the apps and stuff. 
It's like, no, we actually need to deliver on this because that's what keeps our customers coming back. And that's the second piece, right? Is like a lot of companies have been talking about lifetime value for a while. Um, who, who here knows what the lifetime value is for their customers? Okay, that's good. Who here knows how to influence their lifetime value? Who's, who here knows how to make it better? Okay, so like one, two, that's actually really good. Five, that's great. Five out of a thousand, so like half a percentage. Um, but that's, that's actually typically the case, right? So companies have, tr have been tracking lifetime value for a while. But the biggest problem is like, how do you actually move it? And how do you actually design your strategy for it? And that's what we're starting to see change, right? Is that it's no longer a metric that's good to know or good to report or good to sort of think about. It's like, this is becoming the strategy of creating long-term relationships with your customers. So retail isn't just thinking about getting you to make that purchase. Think about what is the experience that gets you coming back over and over again to keep buying Nike, right? Media, like Disney, NBC, a lot of these old school companies are starting to build their own direct-to-consumer direct platforms, one, to own that relationship, but two, because they realize it's not about ads anymore, right? It's about subscriptions. It's about creating that long-term engagement, and to do that, you have to create a great experience that gets people coming back over and over again. So, anyone here from Peloton? Maybe? Okay. So, Peloton is like one of the coolest companies. Uh, I don't have a bike yet, but I'm working on my wife to let me do that. But, um, <laughs> but what's amazing about them is, is the way they've, they've built their strategy. Who here thinks Peloton is a, is a hardware company? Okay. I mean, they are, right? They are at a basic level. They, they create bikes, they create treadmills. But if you think about their business strategy, they are not a hardware company. They are a fitness lifestyle company, right? And what's amazing about them is it's, it's borne out in how they actually have retained their users. Who here has a retention rate in your product that's above 30%? Okay. Who here wishes they have a retention rate above 30%? Yeah, a lot of us. Well, uh, Peloton's just a little bit higher than you. They're at 96, right? So what that means is if you look at their average cohorted retention over the past three or four years, they've kept 96% of their customers are still like who, who signed up for their paid service are still paying them today. That is crazy. Crazy. How do they do that? Right? It's not because they're just selling bikes. That cer certainly helps. It's because they've been thinking about their strategy, like what it, what it takes to sell an idea and create an experience that gets people coming back over and over again. And this has huge implications um, for the valuation, right? Like, I think they just put out their S1 last week or the week before. So th these numbers are a little bit outdated, but they're essentially five, they're on average, like the, the, way, the way they're being valued is five times as valuable in terms of the, as a proportion of their revenue compared to the largest fitness brand on the planet, Planet Fitness, right? And that's because they have a, their strategy isn't just about getting people to pay month to month. It's like, what is the long-term experience we need to build to keep our customers coming back? So the last part that we're seeing in Amplitude um, is the idea of orgs and teams starting to come together. And now this is sort of a natural part of things coming in and out, but I think what's really interesting now is how we're seeing the sort of the cross ownerships of teams, right? For a long time, marketing owned channels and product owned just what's happening inside the product. And you have a life cycle team and maybe there's some crossover. The whole idea of like growth has been really hot in the last couple years, right? And what growth is basically saying is that we think people should be on a couple different teams so they can look across all the metrics and do the right thing for the business. Well, growth, in, in my opinion, is kind of like a short-term Band-Aid to what's actually going to happen, right? And that's what we're starting to see borne out uh, from our customers, 
is that marketing isn't just going to own channel optimization, right? What marketing is going to own is finding the right people who are most likely to retain, right? So, so if you think of, if you go back to Peloton, their marketers, if they're doing ads or they're focusing, they're, gonna, they're not just going to blast out to everyone because that's, that's not the right strategy. They're going to look for who are the right people that fit our segments, that are, gonna, that are most likely to retain, and that's who I'm going to spend my money on, right? Because that, that, that's what marketing should be held accountable to is bringing in those right people, right? Same thing for designers. Designers aren't just going to be focused on designing the onboarding experience or like a piece of it. But we're starting to see designers think about the entire customer experience and own that from end to end, because that's how we get experiences like Nike. Right? It's not one designer each stage doing a portion. It's everyone taking a step back and say, what is the best experience for our customers? And that's what we have to be asking ourselves as product people. And so what we see um, from people who use Amplitude, we, we always ask our customers to log in with their title, because that helps us customize some of the things that they see, is that the titles that we're seeing are actually changing. And so for those of us really interested in product, and it's awesome you guys are all here, is that there's actually new titles that we can start to look for for things that we're interested in, right? And so we see things like data governor, where your whole job is to make sure that the data is clean, easy to use, easy to share across your company, right? That's super important now. Or growth designer, or director of retention, right? Or personalization product manager. These are new titles that are just starting to pop up, and that's because the team functions are starting to integrate a lot more. All right, so those are three trends that we're seeing. And again, like, none of these are brand new. What's actually happening is companies can finally execute on this. We've been talking about an experience and lifetime value forever, but now we can actually start to optimize for it. We can make it our strategy. We can, we can use the data inside our products to actually act on that. And so about that data, like why, why aren't our products better? And that's almost always because, and you've heard almost everyone here talk about so far, is that you need that data about your users, about their behaviors, about what they're doing in order to make those decisions, in order to decide, in order to figure out how do we, how do we build the best end-end experience, and how do we know we've actually succeeded. That's how the data comes into play. And so the first thing we need to do that is to really get high-quality data across our entire, uh, our entire customer experience. Who thinks they have high-quality data today? Yeah, right. I don't know that any company in the world can say that. <laughs> Even Nike, right? They're, they're, they're in a better place, but they're, they're still working on it, right? That's, a, that's an ongoing project for all of us. But that's, that's what we have to aspire to. And we can't just collect the data and hope we'll use it later. That has to be part of the strategy, right? And so what the idea here is that if you look across our user journeys, whether they're on web or mobile or in-store, we have to be able to track every step along that journey. And you guys should be laughing at me right now because this is a joke. Because no one, no customer journeys look perfectly straight like this, right? They look a lot more like this. And that's why getting high quality data is so difficult, right? Because the top one is web, the second one's mobile, the bottom one's in store. People are bouncing around, right? That data is typically fully siloed across those different groups. And so for us to get high quality data across our, across our ecosystem, it has to be entirely integrated. And it has to be a, a single source that can pull it all together and make it easy for all the teams to look at and understand. Because what the mobile team does on mobile doesn't just affect that experience, it's gonna affect what's gonna be like in store and on the web. And so they have to know how that's happening or what the result of that is. So that's number one, have to have high quality data. The second thing that's super important, oop, wrong way, there we go, is the idea of like systematic growth. And when I talk about systematic growth, 
It's mostly having to do with how fast can you experiment and learn. And when people talk about experimentation a lot, and it's often this, in the vein of like, well, you gotta make sure you have the right experience. Like, is it the blue button or the dark blue button or the light blue button, right? Like, no, that's, I mean, that is a use for experimentation, is to optimize our funnels. But when I talk about experimentation for product people, our experimentation should be about trying to find the best ideas that actually help us create great experiences for our customers. So there was a study that came out um, a couple years ago from Microsoft and Stanford. Um, and what they did, they looked at all, the, all the, the teams in Microsoft, all the software teams in Microsoft, and they were trying to figure out like, which teams, of the teams that performed the best, why did they seem to have so many better, more, why did their ideas seem to do so much better than teams that didn't perform as well? And so they spent all this time trying to understand, was it like their education, was it their experience, was it just a personalization or a, a, a like persona thing, right? Well, it turns out there, if you actually looked at the data, there was no difference in terms of the quality of ideas among those groups. Each group had a third of their ideas which were bad outcomes, a third of their ideas which were flat, and a third of their ideas that were good, right? So that means for all teams, most of their ideas are going to fail. And so the reason why you experiment is not to decide the color of a box. It's to figure out how fast can you identify your ideas that are gonna work and double down on those. And that's what the team that did the best at Microsoft was they were really good at saying, here are our 10 ideas. We're gonna figure out which three of them are gonna be the ones that are gonna work really, really well and we're gonna spend all of our effort on those. But that's what they do in advance. They don't just ship all of them. Because if you ship all of them, you're gonna get flat. The good's gonna cancel out the bad and you're gonna stay in the middle. But you, you do small tests to figure out which one are gonna work and that's where you go. And that's why like, having this high quality data is used to do this sort of really fast experimentation to identify what are the right ideas that we have. Because we're product people, we're really smart. Like, we, we know our customers better than anyone else, but we don't always know the best idea to do that. And that's what this experimentation is, is designed to do, is to actually identify that best idea. But even that doesn't actually solve the problems we're talking about before, right? Because there's something here that the three of these have or three of these, the three of these problems are missing that we haven't, I haven't quite talked about. Anyone have an idea? It's called context. All right. And so when I say that, like what I mean by context, what that means is that these are incredibly sophisticated systems, but they forgot to take into account the context of the user situation. Right? So Facebook is just looking at which post of James got the most attention over the past year. And yes, the, the part of his house burning down was certainly the most attention-grabbing, but obviously not the right thing to remind him of. And LinkedIn is, like, is telling Sean that he's a perfect fit for this job because of his past history, which is true, but Sean doesn't want to work there anymore, right? And so what, what a lot of our products are missing is this idea of being contextually aware. Understand what our users are trying to do from a tent, their preferences, right? What they're thinking about and using that to help guide us in terms of what we should be building and how we should be customizing our products for them. And there's an industry that's actually moving this direction really, really fast, and it's probably gonna surprise you. It's car insurance. You're like, what are you talking about, Nate? How is car insurance doing this? Well, uh, let's do a brief history lesson for car insurance. So not too long ago, car insurance was totally a physical relationship, right? You walk into a store, you talk to an agent, uh, you think there's some options, and you get your car insurance, and you walk out. Then we had digitally accessible car insurance. We could search online, may look at a few options. You probably still had to call in, but at least you could do a little bit on your own. 
Now, most car insurance today is like digitally interactive where you can say, I have to submit a claim or uh, my battery's dead or I'm out of gas, like help me, right? But even still, that today is very um, user out, right? As in like the user has to tell the app what it needs or what, what I need, right? It doesn't, it's not thinking, it's not trying to take into account my context and serve me additional value. Well, there's a company called Metromile, not sure how many of you have heard of them. Um, and what they do is that they're a pay-as-you-go uh, car insurance, and so one thing is they do is they only charge you for when you're actually using your car. But they also allow you to do other things like optimizing your trips, monitor your car's health, find your missing car, and most importantly, the biggest value add they can do, which by the way doesn't require uh, things like AI or machine learning, this is just like a really smart way of providing context to your customers, is helping you avoid a parking ticket. I live in San Francisco and I have to move my car every other Monday or I get a $75 ticket uh, from the street sweepers, which adds up really fast, right? And so Metromile can be like, hey, Nate, it's the second Monday, you gotta move your car before eight, right? And that's my car insurance taking the context of what I need, right, knowing where my car is and reminding me to move my car. Like, that is added value. And that's something we should be thinking about as we're building our products. Like, what are those things that we can do with the data that we have when it's really good and really smart that can provide a ton more value to our customers? And when we see apps that start to do this, what we start to hear about them is that they're customized, they're contextual, they're personal, they're familiar, they're trustworthy, right? That changes the dynamic of how your customers are interacting with you. You're not just an app, you're not just a service, right? You become something that's part of their lives and something that they can trust and depend on. And that's how we get those like, long-term relationships that we're really all striving for. And so when we put these things together, it's, it's a combination of high-quality data, the ability to rapidly find those best ideas and use that to help us actually inject context back into the product, right? And so we don't get those mistakes that we saw before. And that's, and that's what we call product intelligence, right? Is, is thinking about each of these steps as part of your process of how you're building your product. You, you can't just assume you'll track the data later. You have to start there and make sure you can understand how people are using it. Because then that can help you make smart decisions about what you build. And finally, you can identify places that you can add more context back into your, your product for your customers. Yes, that's it. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Product Podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.